seated. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for the day, and uh, we thank you for the example and the words of Jesus that we're going to study today. Uh, as we are uh, on an uncertain road, uh, we just pray that we would have clarity uh, to navigate it and to navigate it well. Again, we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. A few years ago, uh, before Sam was ready, and most definitely before Cheryl and I were ready, uh, we mistakenly took him to the City Museum in St. Louis. And if you've ever been there before, it's basically a giant gutted out kind of warehouse uh, filled with lots of places for kids to crawl and climb. And uh, it it is a a kid's dream. It is a helicopter parent's nightmare. Uh, I'm going to affirm that to you because your kid can go in one spot and come out in another spot and you can lose track of your children uh, very, very easily, which uh, is exactly what happened to us when we were there. Uh, we were, Sam kind of went into one area. It was just Cheryl and I, Sam at the time, Lila wasn't, wasn't here yet. And he went in and he was just gone for an uncomfortably long period of time. Like we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting, no sign of Sam. And so Cheryl went to look for him and I stationed myself in the one spot I knew he had to pass by uh, to get out. And it was probably like 15, 20 minutes. I'm not, it felt like four hours that he'd been gone. And so I was freaking out. Cheryl was freaking out a little bit. And so finally we decided to just kind of stop a worker and say, listen, I, I think it's probably fine, but we haven't seen our son in a real long time and we're getting really nervous. And they said, all right, what's his description? And then they kind of went secret service on us and like, yeah, we got a Sam Higgs in a red shirt, uh, you know, uh, gla- green glasses, you know, somewhere in the facility. And I bet you it wasn't even five minutes that the worker like walked Sam up to us. And Cheryl and I are both like crying and he's oblivious. He's just kind of, do do you know. And then, you know, he sees us. He's like, oh, am I, am I about to be killed? I, I mean, you know, mom and dad are freaking out. And he didn't even know he was lost. I, I, I usually know when I'm lost. I don't know about you. Uh, I despise, despise, despise uh, being lost. And unfortunately, I have a lot of experience with it. Uh, because when God was creating Steve Higgs, he gave me the gifts and abilities I have, and directional, uh, directional ability is not one of those gifts uh, that he gave me. So in my young adult life, I, I've spent an uncomfortable amount of my type, time lost when I was a young adult. Uh, and the thing that finally kind of saved me and set my path in the right direction uh, was the invention of GPS. And I'm telling you, uh, electricity, the wheel, and GPS. Are, are the biggest, the GPS uh, changed my life. It is an unbelievable uh, event, uh, invention because it shows you the way. You don't have to be uncertain anymore. It just shows you the way that you need to go. And my kind of feeling on us and on our culture right now is that we're really uncertain on the road that we're on. We don't know how to navigate this road. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know what things are looking like. We don't know what to do with this uncertain road that we've been on. And certainly I think we could all affirm that things feel uncertain. Right? There's political uncertainties, there's health uncertainties, there's economic uncertainties, there's cultural uncertainties, and a lot of us just don't know how to navigate it. Or, or at least we don't know how to navigate it well. Uh, And and so my prayer for this series is that the words of Jesus that we're going to study, John 13 through 17 into 18 a little bit, uh, that my prayer for this series is that this series would be like GPS and that this series would help us 
to navigate this uncertain road maybe a little bit better than we did before. So let me set up, we're going to be in John 13 today, John 13, starting in verse 33. Let me set up the text just a little bit. Uh, this is sometimes, the text we're studying today, uh, this series, is sometimes called the last discourse of Jesus before he goes to the cross. And Jesus knows what's about to happen. He knows that he's about to be arrested. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to resurrect. He's going to ascend to heaven. And he's just talking to his disciples in these texts. And he just knows the uncertainty ahead of them that he's eventually going to ascend to the Father. They're going to undergo persecution. They're going to undergo hardship. And he just knows how scary and uncertain the road is about to become. And so he's essentially, he's saying, let me just be your GPS a little bit. I know you don't know what you're about to face. I know what you're about to face. And I, I love that meme, by the way. Have you seen that meme that like in 2015, when anybody was asked, where do you want to be in five years? Nobody said this right? I love that meme, but you know what? God knew what 2020 was going to be like. And so he wants to speak to us about how to navigate it well. And that's exactly what he does in uh, John 13, 33. Here's how he starts. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. This is the definition of an uncertain road. It's like, I'm going to leave you you can't come, we're going to be apart. And they're all, I, I, I picture this, I was going, what on earth is he talking about? What, what on earth is going to be going on? So he says, like, here's the first thing I want to tell you. As you face the uncertain road, as you face a, a future full of maybe doubts and uncertainty and all of that stuff, here's the first thing I want to say to you. And here's what he says, a new command I give you, love one another. Super simple sermon today. I could end it right here. Unfortunately for you, I am not. <laughs> a new command I give you, love one another. As you face a future of uncertainty, the first thing we need to remember is do not forget to love one another. And listen, when he says a new command I give you, uh, this is kind of interesting Greek word because he's not describing it in terms of that they've never heard about love before. It's like, hey, a new command I give you, love one another. What is this love of which you speak, right? We've never heard of it. No, the Old Testament was actually full of these types of teachings, right? The, the, the Old Testament talked about loving God. Here's a great one from Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is way back in Deuteronomy. Man, love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength and teach your children to love God. I love the imagery of this text that when you're walking along the road, when you're going to the grocery store, you know, when you're running errands, just talk about loving God with, with, with all that you are. It's really great practical advice. So the Old Testament talks a lot about loving God, but also this was not a new command in terms of the Old Testament actually talks a lot about how we love each other. Way back in the book of Leviticus, we read these words, do not steal, Great practical advice for loving your neighbor. Don't take his stuff. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane, profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Great advice. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. 
Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great. Judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Great advice for today, right? Let's not be slandering, right? Do not, go anything, uh, do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against, any, uh, um, uh, uh, against anyone among your people. And here it is. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is way back in Leviticus that we're seeing love your neighbor, love the people around you, love them well. So when Jesus uses the word new, that a new command I give you, he's not talking about new information that you've never heard about this thing called love before. It could be translated as fresh. That in the road ahead of you, this is a command that needs to be refreshed. In the road ahead of you, this is a a command that needs to be uh, renewed and remembered. That this is a command that is especially important, Jesus says, for today on the road that you face ahead. He wants to remind them of the special importance of this one command as they face the uncertain road. That especially as you face the uncertain road, remember this one command I give you. Remember to love one another. Let's say you had a friend. I can explain it this way. Let's say you had a friend back in August that called you and said, listen, I stopped at this roadside stand at the corner of so-and-so, wherever, and they had the best, the sweetest corn you will ever eat in your life. It is incredible. You live in Illinois. That sweet corn is awesome is not a new command, right? That sweet corn is good is not a new command. That you can get the sweetest corn of your life at the corner of so-and-so, that is new information and relevant for the day. You might even change your plans for the day to go get that corn. Or let's say, even a better example, a friend says to you, listen, I just traveled down the road and the police are running a speed trap at this intersection. I just wanted you to be aware of it just so you know, they're running a speed trap. I've actually done this before, call Cheryl, not that she's a speeder, but you get the point. Hey, there's a... (laughs) She's not, believe me, but uh, that there's, several, there's several police along this road. Do not speed is not a new command to you. You know not to speed. You're a good-looking group. You know not to speed, right? Do not speed is not a new command to you. Make sure you are not speeding at all on this certain intersection may be a new idea for the day. And, and so this is all Jesus is saying. He's not saying, man, uh, a new command I give you, love one another. No one's going, what? What is the love thing? And we've never heard of that. No, they heard about it in Deuteronomy. They heard about it in Leviticus. What he's saying is right now, in this season, in the road ahead, this is a command that needs to be remembered. This is a command that needs to be refreshed. This is a command that needs to be renewed. And here's why. It is on the uncertain road that often our love for one another can grow stale. It is when you are facing uncertainty and when people are afraid and when people are looking at the unknown that we become angry. We become angry when the road is uncertain. Have you ever noticed, I don't know if you've noticed this in our day and age, that uncertainty kind of breeds anger? Have you, have you noticed that in our culture at all? Let, let me give you an example of it, right? Uh, when you get up tomorrow morning, because this is trying a micro level and it's trying a big level, but when you get up tomorrow morning, uh, your kids or your grandkids, if you're hanging out with them, they might ask you, can I have some screen time? And I would challenge you, if your answer to that is, at some point in your life, you can have some more screen time, but I have no idea when that's going to be. 
Oh, they're going to burn your house down. Your grandkids are going to burn your house down. You know, at some point you can have, I have no idea when that's going to be. At some point you can have, why is their frustration going to grow? Because uncertainty breeds anger. If you were to say, hey, at four o'clock you can have it. At three o'clock, then then the anger is not going to be there. But hey, at some point you'll get it again. I'm not telling you when. There's going to be anger because uncertainty breeds anger. Or if your spouse comes to you and says, listen, I don't care where we go. I need to go on vacation. I just, I need to get away. It doesn't matter. We can go to the woods. We can go wherever. It doesn't matter where. I just need to get away for a few days. And I said, at some point in your life, you're going to have a vacation again. I can't guarantee when that's going to be. Just at some point, you'll get a vacation again into the future. Watch their frustration grow. Uncertainty breeds anger. It is of no surprise to me in this culture right now, when you look at the people around you, that we are frustrated. Have you noticed what a year ago would have been a two is now like a nine? Then you're going, what on earth is going on? Uncertainty breeds anger. It just does. And we're facing so many things right now. The election, the economy, um, COVID, there's a ton of uncertainty. And so what Jesus is saying is when you're facing the uncertain road, lean into what you know for sure. Lean into the things that you know for sure and make sure to take special notice of those on on the road ahead. You can't do anything about the other stuff, but here's what you can do. You can lean into love. You can lean into love because that's the thing you know for sure. The thing you you don't know how the election's gonna pan out. A lot of people are saying they do, but you don't, right? You don't know how COVID's gonna play out. You you don't know how uh, the economy's gonna play out. You don't know any of that, but what you do know is a new command I give you. Love one another, A new command I give you, love one another, so you and I can choose love. So we get frustrated when the road is uncertain. We also tend to get a little controlling and self-centered when the road is uncertain. There can be this attitude of, I need to take care of me. I need to take care of my desires and my wishes and my wants. It happens during times of uncertainty. This is why maybe during the stay-at-home order, you had more fights about the remote control than you've ever had in your life. Why? Because the remote control represents control. Right? And so it's like, I just got to control something. You know, I, I'm going to watch something that I want to, I, I want to watch. And um, here's what is true. Life is not about maintaining control. Jesus teaches that life is about giving up control, bending the knee, and loving other people. So just today, real simple, I want to stand before you and quote Jesus. A new command I give you. <laughs> Love one another. And it's not that you've never heard that before. You've heard it a hundred times. It's that it's especially important in the road that we're navigating ahead. It's especially important in what we're facing right now as a country. It's not a new command in that nobody's ever heard of it before. It's a new command in that not many people are doing it today. So it might seem new to, when you start truly loving people around you, it might seem new. It might seem revolutionary, but here's what it should seem like to you and I. It should seem like what we're called to. Jesus continues on in the text. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So he says, a new command I give you, love one another. And then he goes on to say, as I have loved you, as I have loved you, so you love one another. So it begs a really interesting question. How is it that Jesus loved? Well, I think you can make a couple arguments. I think you could say that Jesus loved by showing up, that we are weeks away from Christmas. Christmas is the holiday that we celebrate where he showed up, that he saw us in our sin. 
He saw us separated from God. He saw us on the road to destruction. And Jesus could have just stayed in heaven and said, that looks like a real problem down there. A real head scratcher, right? Those people are heading down a bad path. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't just point down there and say, oh boy, they're, they're heading down a bad path. He said, put me into the game to the father. Put me in, coach, right? Put me in. And he came down here and he showed up. He saw us in our sin and he showed up. And this is one of the great things we can do in, in our day and age is we can, we can show up and love. And I think there's a couple threats to it. One is we live in kind of a day and age of social media where we have substituted showing up with a thumbs up emoji, right? Or we have substituted showing up with a simple like, and I think this is a reminder, and I know it's hard with COVID right now, so it's, I affirm that, but we'll talk about how that can play out in a minute. But I, I think one of the greatest things we can do right now is just kind of actually show up. There's something powerful about actually showing up uh, to the people around us and, and serving them and loving them well. And I think science bears out the folly of our current cultural situation that we have. I saw a, sci- a, a report the other day that we have more digital friends than we've ever had in our life, and we are lonelier than we've ever been. That's before COVID. That study came up before COVID. But why, why is that true? Because God was right. It's not good for us to be alone. So, so I think there's that, that kind of digital aspect of where we're going to, that we're not showing up physically, we're showing up digitally. I think that's a challenge. I think fear can be a little bit of a challenge. I don't know if you've ever wanted to show up for a friend that's going through something. You wanted to love them in that way. You said, I need to show up for them. But you don't know what to say. And you don't know what to do. And, and you don't know how to make it better. And there's a lot of anxiety that, that surrounds that. And it can be really, really hard. But here's what showing up does. You don't have to have the perfect thing to say. You don't have the perfect, thing to, the, the perfect thing to do. What showing up does is it reminds the people in our life, hey, you are not alone. You're not going through this alone. You're not grieving through this alone. You're not handling this alone. You are not alone. And I don't know what to say. And I don't know what to do. I don't know how to meet your needs, but I'm here. I'm here. I'm showing up because I love you and I care about you. And it's important to me that you know that you are not alone, that you have a person. We're going to talk about it a little bit later, that the Holy Spirit uh, is called the one who comes alongside. And the Holy Spirit works through us to accomplish this. So the Holy Spirit works in us to come alongside people and say, I'm with you. I'm with you on this road. I'm with you through this challenge. I'm with you through this difficulty. And when I think about the fear that surrounds showing up, sometimes I think about this in particular when it comes to race. That oftentimes I don't know what to say or, or, and I don't know how to engage when it comes to race because of my background and uh, where I come from. And it's a reminder that sometimes showing up just makes a difference. And I think in that particular subject, showing up can look like listening. And showing up can look like reading and engaging with podcasts and having conversation where we really appreciate and listen to the experiences of others. Jesus showed up. Jesus got in the game. Jesus didn't just stand back, point out problems. He engaged with the people around him and we're called to the same thing. So he shows up. He expresses love by meeting needs. I love that song we sang earlier. Did you notice when we did the Amaze series that that we just finished last week, did you notice how many of the miracles surrounded what you and I would consider the mundane, right? That that white wine runs out at a wedding. 
Jesus shows up and creates more. People need lunch after they hear Jesus preach. He feeds 5,000 people. Some guys can't catch fish one night and they're really, really frustrated. Jesus does a miracle. It's the mundane. Jesus is about meeting needs and sometimes those needs were great in that series. A guy's dead. He's born blind. He needs to be healed. Sometimes those needs were, were great and sometimes they were just mundane. People need lunch. The wedding feast needs to continue, and Jesus met those needs too. And here's why this is so important. I think sometimes when we're talking about loving others, we can get bogged down by the desire to be great, that we want to make a big difference. We want to change the world, and we forget that a lot of love is spent in the day-to-day grind of loving other people, uh, the the day-to-day I'm going to make up a word if that's okay, mundaneness of life. It's giving somebody a ride. It's buying their lunch. It's writing them an encouraging note. There's a great quote that I've shared with you, I think my entire time here. My first year I started using this quote, and I've probably used it a couple times a year ever since. So some of you are going to know it well, but it's from a church, uh, a vineyard church in Cincinnati, and here's the quote. Little things done with great love will change the world. Little things done with great love will change the world. We often want to think big, 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 change the world. And our actions don't need to be big and great. Our love needs to be big and great. And if there's enough followers of Jesus that are doing little things that will change, little things done with great love, then the world will begin to change. So I want you to think little just for a few minutes. What are some little things that you could do right now? Little things, because we're, we're kind of trapped in the middle of little, right? You can't get out and do the big and the bold very much, right? A lot of big and bold has been canceled, right? So what are some little things we can do? What are some little ways that you can love? Writing a note, sending a private message, making a phone call, sending somebody a meal. Little things done with great love will change the world. So Jesus, he expresses his love by meeting needs. Lastly, He expresses his love through sacrifice. He expresses his love through sacrifice. This story goes all the way back to the book of Exodus when uh, God's people were in slavery and God sends Moses to Pharaoh with the kind of famous line, you know, let my people go. You know, God sends Moses to Pharaoh and Pharaoh refuses. And so God begins to send these plagues onto Egypt and uh, locusts and frogs and uh, gnats and the Nile turned to blood. And what happened in that story is that Pharaoh would experience the uh, judgment of God and he'd give in temporarily. He'd be like, all right, all right, I'm done with the frogs. (laughs) I'm done with the gnats. You know, this is destroying our crops. I'll I'll let God's people go. And then he'd have that initial response. And then over time, he would rethink it. And he said, I can't let all these Hebrew slaves go. I, I just, I can't afford to do that. I, I, I can't do it. And then he, he refused to do it. And so God would send another plague. Well, it finally got to the point where God said, listen, the next plague is going to be the death of the firstborn son. Every firstborn in Egypt is going is to die. And so God sends word to the Hebrew slaves. He says, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to kill a lamb. I want you to smear the blood above the doorframe of your house. And if you do that, if you'll be obedient in that and what I'm calling you to do, um, then I'll pass over you. you you'll, uh, the, the firstborn plague, will, it'll be passed over you and you and your family will be spared. 
And a lot of God's people did that, almost all of them. They killed lamb, put the blood above the doorpost, and that became Passover. That, that plague, God and that plague kind of passed over them. It was years later. Jesus happens onto the scene, and John the Baptist is preaching. And in the middle of his sermon, right? John's preaching a great sermon. In the middle of the sermon, he points. He says, hey, look. And you can picture everyone listening to John. I was, you know, every, I, he's like, look. And it's Jesus. He says, look over there, everybody. There, there. And everyone's looking now. He says, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And three years later, Jesus would go to a cross and he'd shed his blood and he'd sacrifice himself. And here's what happens in the New Testament story. In the New Testament story, the firstborn son of God would become the lamb so that we could live. It's an amazing story. That the firstborn son of God became a lamb and died for our sins so that we could know God in this life and in the next life forever. And so one of the things that infuses in us, I wanted to share with you, that's the gospel. I wanted to share with you because one of the things that infuses in us is sacrifice becomes a trait of the redeemed. Sacrifice becomes a trait of the saved. That when we see the extraordinary links that Jesus went to, that he shows up, he serves, and ultimately sacrifices himself for our sins. When we see that in Jesus, it instills in us a desire to sacrifice as well. That we want to be like Jesus in this way. Here's how the Apostle Paul said it. He said it way better than I do, but here's what he says in Philippians. Therefore, I love this, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, right? if any comfort from his love, from what he did, if any common sharing of the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, you almost, it almost starts to see, seem insulting, right? If you have any compassion at all, right, if the, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do not do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have, there's the word again, the same, the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So it raises an interesting question for you and for me, for a follower of Jesus, that if I am moved by that story, if I am impacted by that story, if I love the story of how Jesus went to the cross, it begs this question, how am I sacrificing for others? We have been in a season as a nation and as a people where we have been thinking a lot about our rights and rights are important, but a read of the Bible and you will discover that there is much more conversation in the Bible about sacrifice than there is rights. So who are you sacrificing for right now? Maybe you're in a season right now where it's your kids and they're young and you're in a season where you're laying down your rights for the good of your kids so that they'll know and worship Jesus. Maybe for you right now, it's your spouse. You're in a season where you are sacrificing your desires and your needs for your spouse. 
Maybe for you, it's your neighbor or your community. Whatever it is, let us demonstrate the love of our Savior through sacrifice. Let's get in the game. Let's meet needs. Let's show up. Let's be like Jesus. Here's what Jesus said one time. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. By this one thing, everyone will know you are my disciples by this one thing, your political leanings. How you vote. Your Facebook posts. No, no, no. He's, by this, everyone will know you are dis- my disciples. If you love one another. One of the greatest mistakes Christianity ever made was tying our faith to our politics. And I'm not saying they're totally separate, but the idea that you could know someone is a Christian by their political leanings. No, the way we are identified is by our love. So let's not forget that. Let's be like our savior who loved his political enemies, who loved people that thought differently than him, who served the entire world by going to the cross and who uttered these words. A new command I give you. Not new because you've never heard it before. New because not many people are doing it. Not new because nobody's ever heard it before. New because it's especially relevant on an uncertain road. Because we tend to become kind of self-involved on the, uh, on, on the road and we tend to get angry on the uncertain road. But a new command I give you. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. Be like Jesus. We're gonna receive communion together. It's under your chair. Um, and what I wanna do is I wanna open this up with prayer here. And what I wanna do is I wanna give you a little time uh, for you and God to do a little business together. I'll open this up with prayer. Just leave a time of quiet and you can kind of talk to God. Thank him for his example. Thank him for his love. Uh, thank him uh, for being the embodiment of that love and showing us a different and better way. And then ask him through his spirit to embolden you and to embolden me to leave this place and love the way that he is loved. Because it is radical, it, it is different. Jesus said, a new command I give you. But the, the reason he said it seems new is, like I said, not a lot of people are doing it. And when you see someone that truly loves well, you know, somebody that, that forgives somebody that has really wronged them or treats people with kindness that have a different political leaning. When you see that in action, it does seem super different. Um, it, it does seem really radical. And so we just want to thank him for his example and empower us to do the same. So I'll open this up with prayer and then we'll receive communion together. Jesus, we thank you for your example. We want to follow it. We want to be like you. So as we face an uncertain road, may we lean into the thing that we know. We don't know how COVID's gonna end. We don't know who's gonna win the election. We don't know how a lot of this stuff's gonna resolve. But we know we are called to love like you love. Help us to do it. Help us to be like you. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you for your example. It is in his name we pray. Amen. We always want to remember as we get ready to leave, the cup is our calling. That this is, this is what, what, what this cup represents is our calling.
that Jesus came and radically loved the people around him. And we are called to his example. We are called to do the same thing. So as we leave this place, may we embody his spirit through his Holy Spirit. May we embody his spirit and his attitude and may we love well and and love uh, sacrificially. May we show up and join the game and, and just love the way that Jesus has loved. God bless. Have a great week.